I'm going to just let you remain seated. How about that? Ain't that sweet of me? We, uh, we encourage you. I know that uh, a lot of you, like probably myself, we're still uh, day by day, week by week, cleaning up from the storm. Uh, construction people are there trying to put a roof back on my house. We're almost there on that, not my whole house, but the part that the big, that the big oak trees uh, took care of for me. Uh, and a lot of people kind of, you know, it's like, it's unusual for me as a pastor. You see, you know, these things that kind of scatters to people, but I, I do encourage you, uh, as Ken said, you know, and uh, you know this, I've been doing this a long time, and, and this statistic has never changed. When you put, you know, when you talk to people in any church, in any denomination, uh, and you ask them what brought them to that particular church, it was an invitation by someone in the church. It was 80-something percent is where it's always stayed. Uh, you want to know how many people come to church because a preacher asked them? It's less than 5% because they think we have an ulterior motive for wanting to come or, or something like that. So my point is, if we want people to come, you have to invite them. And you got no excuse now because you ain't even got to look at them in the face. You can just text them. Facebook them, message them, smoke signal, mail them, some, <laughs> whatever. And uh, but I encourage you to do that and support this house. Pray for us. Uh, I'm talking uh, talking to to some degree, begging uh, roofers to to help us to come. And of course, we're covered with insurance. You know, uh, I may have to come un unsaved with them a little bit. Uh, but we're going to get it fixed. And and it's just a real task to even get a roofer to to come. They're just all so busy, rightly so. And, uh, of course, this was declared, uh, you know, a Lowndes County along with a couple of more, you know, a disaster, you know, by FEMA. And uh, and so, uh, but it's just, a, it's just a weird time. And so that's probably the impetus behind me preaching what I'm going to preach about. And I'm not talking about natural storms, but I'm talking about avoiding shipwreck uh, when you go through a storm. And I can't, you know, and I'm talking, when I say storm, I'm talking about really more of a, a spiritual type storm. It could be a physical storm, you know, with your body, your health. It could be family. It could be, a, a, you know, a hundred things. But uh, so I want to look at, and I'm not going to hit but a few verses because I'd have to read the whole chapter and take up too much time. But the whole 27th chapter of the book of Acts is Paul uh, on his journey to Rome. And uh, he's been uh, going by a boat, ship. And uh, on that voyage, they encounter a tremendous storm. And, and you can't prevent sometimes. Now, there are a lot of storms that you and I go through that we created. Can somebody say amen to that? It's just we done, we made dumb decisions. We, we done wrong things. It could be financial. And it puts us in a storm. And, you know, you can't even blame that on the devil. It's just after, you know, said we, you know, we screwed up. Okay. Uh, there are storms in obedience to God. You're just doing what God wants you to do. And you encounter opposition. You encounter storms. And then that happened to the disciples. Jesus told them to get into a boat, cross over to the other side. How many knows they encountered a tremendous storm that they thought that they were going to die in that storm? 
And that was not of their making. That was just them on the journey, doing what God called them to do, and they encountered a tremendous storm. Um, and then there's like what we went through a few weeks ago in the natural. That's a natural storm. It, it just came. God's not behind it. God didn't send stuff to tear up Lowndes County or any other place. Our, our papa doesn't do that. He, he doesn't destroy it. The thief comes to kill, to, uh, steal, kill, and destroy. And there was destruction. And God's not behind those things. And, uh, and, and I do believe that uh, we cannot avoid storms, but we can't avoid shipwrecking our faith when we go through stuff that's difficult. And, and so in this 27th chapter of the book of Acts, the, uh, the Bible gives us so many, and I'm just going to hit a few of them, uh, I believe principles. And today, you know, normally when I'm talking to you guys, preaching to you guys, I'm, I'm really coming more from a theological uh, position, I guess you'd say. Uh, but today I want it to be real practical and pragmatic and stuff that you can apply with whatever that you're dealing with. If you're not in a storm, I don't mean this as a bad prophecy now, but you, you hang on, you'll get one. Just pray for the rest of us. Yours, are, Come on now, you know what I mean. It's called life. Anybody ever found life to be a little tough every now and then? And uh, for some, some reason it gets a little tougher, seems like, when you get older. Because then you got a body, you know, that ain't working with you like it, you know. And the doctors are always asking me now, I just turned 64, they say, well, what about this? Or, you know, what about that? Or are you experiencing this? And I don't even know how to answer them. And I've told them that. And I said, well, I've never been this age before, so I don't know if this comes automatically with the age or if there's something wrong. But either way, I'm hurting in this situation, so how about helping, uh, helping me out? And so there, there's several reasons that these guys uh, encountered a shipwreck. Now, if they'd listened to the Apostle Paul, they wouldn't have had that problem, but they wouldn't listen. And so the first one of uh, these principles that, that caused the shipwreck was they responded really to dissatisfaction. In Acts 27 and verse 12, uh, it says, and because the harbor was not suitable, everybody say not suitable, to winter in, the majority advised, say the majority advised. I'll get to that. The, the, because the harbor wasn't suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. And so w what happens is, is that this harbor was actually called Fair Havens. Now, you're in a safe place, and winter was in that time of the year was not a real safe time to, to sail, and uh, Paul told them they should just spend the winter there. But, but because that was such a small place, a small haven, the reason they were dissatisfied is probably because the, the crew didn't have enough entertainment. And they didn't want to stay there. They wanted to get to Phoenix, to a bigger town. And, uh, and, and so they, they were pushing for this. And so a lot of us in our life, listen, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll get dissatisfied. Uh, and it doesn't mean dissatisfaction is always evil, but we get dissatisfied and we have a tendency to let dissatisfaction lead us rather than the Holy Spirit lead us. And, and so many Christians, I've always said this, they, 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 uh, they suffer from feel-led poisoning. You've heard of lead poisoning. This is called feel, F-E-E-L, feel lead poisoning. So they get dissatisfied, so all of a sudden they feel led to go to another church. Well, they get dissatisfied, and they all of a sudden feel led to change spouses. Y'all got quiet on that one. 
Or they get dissatisfied with their job and they say, well, I'm just going to quit and go get another job. And then you unfortunately sometimes find out that it wasn't quite as easy to get a job as you thought it was going to be. Um, so you, you don't let dissatisfaction lead you. The second problem that led to their shipwreck was they tried to follow the majority. How many heard the statement that the you know, majority is always right? Not in the Bible. In the Bible, the majority is always wrong. And, and, and so here, the majority on this boat, I guess, probably took a vote. How did they know they were the majority if they didn't take a vote? The majority said, let's sail. They wouldn't listen to Paul. Uh, we see the same uh, thing in Numbers chapter 13 when the majority, again, ruled. And what did we get? We had two million people that missed the timing of God and the promised land. And that's when Moses is leading them out and leading them in, into the promises of God. And remember he sent the 12 spies in? How many spies gave a bad report? Ten. How many gave a good report? Two. So the majority said, uh, you know, we can't do it. There's giants in there. And they discouraged and took the heart of the people away. Two, the minority said, we are well able, Joshua and Caleb, to take the land. But they listened to who? The majority. What happens in a lot of situations, that's what happens. And so they missed the timing of God. And, and they had already been in the wilderness two years. And now, after two years, God had led them. Listen to me, a lot of people miss this. But when Moses led them out of Egypt, when they went out the front gate of Egypt, in 14 days, two weeks, they could have been standing on the, on the Jordan to cross the promised land. Two weeks. So it wasn't like it was such a long journey, but God on purpose led them out in that wilderness for two years. Why? Because they've been slaves in their mind and in their uh, genealogy for 430 years. So they've got to get acquainted with him. He's trying to bring some order to chaos. And for two years, uh, he doesn't let them see uh, enemies, none, none of that stuff. After two years, he leads them and says, cross, cross into what I promised you. And... Uh, and, and so they, it wasn't God's idea. Well, let me just send spies in so that we, I can prove to you that I'm right. That was Moses' idea to satisfy the people. And so uh, they, they did that. It didn't work good for them. So 12 spies go in. They see giants in there. And they said we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And that's a whole other sermon by itself. But anyway, they, those 10 guys came. And it didn't take but 10 men to keep 2 million people out. You see what I'm saying? You, you, you got to be careful who you follow, what you listen to. I'm just simply saying the majority ain't always right. I don't care where to, they're just not always right. The third reason for shipwreck was their impatience. Now, I hate preaching this because I feel like I'm preaching to me. And Jill's on the front row, so she knows it. Uh, I'm, not extremely, I'm not an extremely patient man. I have a lot more patience now as I'm older than I used to have. And... Uh, and I don't believe in spankings anymore now that I have grandchildren. So I've really gone through some radical theological changes. Some of y'all don't like that. Uh, wait till you, your grandparent, get back with me. Uh, but they, th these guys moved too soon. They were, they were in a hurry to get to Phoenix. And, and listen, the Bible is filled with admonitions to wait on the Lord. Multiple times it says, wait on the Lord. And again, I say, wait on the Lord. I've never read any verse that said, hurry up on the Lord. There's no verse that says, hurry up on the Lord. There's verses that say, wait on the Lord. 
And sometimes the, the, the act of sailing, listen, them sailing was not the problem. They, it was just the, they missed the timing when to sail. And there ain't nothing wrong with planting tomatoes, but you got to do it, you know, somewhere around March or April. You can plant them in December, but it's going to be tough, right? Yeah. And so you, it, the timing's everything. The fourth reason that for shipwreck is they, they, they missed, they failed to recognize God, to, to his voice, to obey God. And it says in, in verse 11, Acts 27 and 11, it says, nevertheless, and Paul's trying to tell them not to sail. Now, if you want to look at it, Paul's a preacher. He's not a sailor. He, he's not a helmsman. He doesn't work on a ship. He doesn't, he doesn't have any experience in that. He's a theological guy. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's very well educated in, in um, biblical things or, you know, scripture. But he's not a sailor. And so he didn't carry a lot of weight when it comes to sailing information. But he tells these sailors, don't sail. Nevertheless, verse 11 says, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by this preacher. What does a preacher know about sailing? Man, just shut up. When you preach, we'll handle this. Come on, y'all. And uh, what did they do? They, they do what a lot of us do. They leaned on human reasoning to make their decision. A lot of people that are seeking the will of the Lord in whatever they're seeking the will of the Lord for will keep asking people their opinion until they find somebody that agrees with what they already want to do in the first place. And once they find somebody that agrees with what they wanted to do before they even ask anybody, then they'll say God's in it and then they'll do it. I don't mean this mean and things can change and humans are humans and you can't control people nor manipulate people very well. Um, but I've had people, you know, tell me just, you know, I've seen a lot of this in marriage over 42 years of ministry, but they'll say, you know, God, you know, told me to marry this person, this and that and whatever. And then they'd be in my office, you know, two years later saying this person's a demon. Uh, you know, I shouldn't have married him. I thought you told me two years ago that God did this. God don't bring you. You know, I remember one time I was praying, praying in the altar and I had a little lady. I was in Fitzgerald running revival and a little lady come up. She wanted prayer and she said, uh, she said, uh, Brother Young, she said, I want you to pray for me for the Lord to send me a husband. Now, okay, that's cool. And then she said, and I was fisting lay hands, you know, just believe with her. God sent her a husband. Bible says man finds his wife, finds a good thing, blessing of the Lord and all, favor of the Lord. So I'm, I'm all in the scripture for it. And then I went to pray for her. And she said, wait a minute. She said, will the Lord send me a Christian? <laughs> or believer, I think she said. Will he send me a believer? And I said, that's all he's got. I said, he sure ain't going to send you some demon from hell. You know? And uh, it's amazing how we view things. But the Bible tells us to trust in the Lord. Uh, lean not on your own what? understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths uh so you don't 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 trust on on human reasoning the fifth cause of their shipwreck was that they were led by their circumstances look in verse 13 acts 27 13 it says when the south wind blew softly supposing that they had obtained their desire putting out to sea they sailed close by Crete 
This is what they call in the courthouse circumstantial evidence. So the circumstances seemed favorable for them to go ahead and sell. A, a, a soft south wind blew. They were like, oh, feel that. Y'all load up. We feel good. No prayer, no discernment, no listening to the man that's in talking to God. The Apostle Paul just said, circumstances dictate that we move now. And so they, they, they just hopped on and went to sailing. You know, I see a lot of people, a lot of Christians have what, we, what I call an open door policy when they're seeking the Lord. You know what I mean by that? Open door policy. They pray for, they, this is how the prayers go. Lord, I just pray if you just open the door for me. And if, and, it, and if this door opens, I'll know it's you and I'll go in it. That's not, that, nowhere in the Bible does God lead anybody by a door opening. Sorry to take that one from you. But it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous way to pray and to believe and to live your life. Because there's a lot of folks opening doors, and a lot of those open doors actually are distractions to keep you from the will of God. You know, in my own life, many years ago, I heard God in March of 90 speak to me to start Cornerstone Church in Sparks. I knew it was God. I didn't do it knee-jerk. I didn't do it quickly. And a year later was my time to start physically the church. We had our first service March the 10th of 1991. But a few I'm going to say a, uh, a month maybe or more, just uh, very close to the time that I was to start the church. In my community, I had uh, a very uh, large church, Assembly of God Church. Uh, I was actually scheduled to preach. I'd preached there uh, numerous times, and I was scheduled to preach a revival for them. And actually, I, by the schedule, I would be in their church preaching a week revival and I would finish that revival on a Friday night, and the following Sunday would be March the 10th, would be my first Sunday starting the church, Cornerstone. And uh, that's just how things worked out. And so even before I got there, that church came to me. And when I say the church came to me, I don't mean some dude that goes to church there and met me in a parking lot. With none of these examples, I mean the deacons. This was a deacon church with deacons. I thought to say deacon possessed, but <laughs> there are a lot of deacon possessed churches. I'd rather deal with a demon possessed church because I can cast a demon out, but you can't cast a deacon out. You have to vote them out. <laughs> it's a lot longer and harder process. Y'all don't shout. <laughs> Y'all okay? But so the, 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 the deacons, and my wife said, all this is, I need, you ain't, I'm not going to lie to you, but the deacons met, they, want, they wanted to meet, I went and met at the church with them. They said, we want you to be our pastor. Well, I know what's in my heart, but it's a secret in my heart. I'm not telling anybody. I didn't even tell my parents until the weekend of me starting the church. I mean, it was top secret, just between me and my wife and God. And, uh, and the man I had rented the building to have the church in. Uh, but I wasn't telling people. And in those days, they know, we ain't Facebook and message. I don't even know if that, I don't even, that didn't exist. And so the deacons come met with me. And, 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 I, and I thought, this is, and, and this was an open door, and I said, this got to be God. Maybe this is it. Maybe I missed it. Maybe this is God. I told them I pray about it, which I did. 
seriously and intently. I prayed. And, uh, and so I said, brother, you know, and then I, I met with them again. They said, we want you to be our pastor. So then I thought I'd just share a little of my heart with them. I said, well, God's put in my heart to be, you know, in, I said, no offense to anybody, but just to be non-denominational is what I'm feeling from the Lord. They said, well, we're a sovereign church, and we can come out of the assemblies of God. If you'll take the church, uh, all we got to do, we'll have to call for a congregational vote, but we have confidence this congregation loves you, that we'll, that we'll do that, and we'll come out of the assemblies of God denomination, and you can call the church whatever you want to call it, just come be our pastor. Somebody say open door. Is that not an open door? And to prove that, they came and met at my house, didn't they, baby? So two of the deacons came into my house with me and my wife, handed me the bylaws of the church, underlined where they can take that vote and come out of the denomination, and they said, please come be our pastor. This was a church already filled with people. This was a church that already offered me a full-time salary. This was a church that was less than a mile from where I lived. Man, this looked good to this brother right here. And I tried to lean that way and say, God, ain't this it? Let Ishmael be it. I don't want to give birth to Isaac, right? And God was just silent on the point. And I kept pushing God in prayer. And I wanted God to send Gabriel down with the personal facts to convince me. And one day when I was praying about this, I heard the Lord say this to me. And I've learned over the years, and that's back, even then I didn't know him like I know him now. But, but I heard the Lord say this to me. God's always so kind. He's always so kind. And he never violates your free will. And this is what he said. He, he said that, he said, you can take the church. He was talking about the assembly. You, you, he said, you can take the church and you'll have success, but you won't stand in what I'm asking you to stand in. That was not punitive. It was just, how can I be apostolic and move in what God was showing me in those days when you're in, it, it wouldn't have worked. And in fact, it would be years later that the, that, that denomination would come out and make a formal written statement that they did not believe in apostles. It'd been tough in there, wouldn't it? It'd been real tough. And so then we go to another church. They didn't have a pastor. Uh, it's the Holiness Baptist Church. I'll just say that. And so they was without a pastor. I preached at that place for a year. Every Sunday that I was not booked other places. I, I, I buried their dead. I, I, I was like their pastor. The, I, they, they, the deacons called me to be their pastor. I met with them at night. They said, we want you to be our pastor. They gave me their bylaws of the church government wanted me to read it. I already knew what it was because my granddaddy was a holiness Baptist preacher. But I read it, and it's very, very strict and very, to some degree, I hate I'm just being, I'm, it. was legalistic. And I read it, and I went back, and, and in, in, in humility and kindness, I said, Brothers, I, I, I'm so touched that y'all want me to be your pastor, but, but I just don't believe all this. They said, We don't either. <laughs> they said, Oh, don't worry about that. We don't believe that either. And I said, well, I just can't be like that, man. I said, if I hook up with it, I got to believe it. My wife would remember one of the precious leaders of that church one night after I'd preached. Uh, we, he walked to our vehicle. He's a precious man. And he walked to him, and he rolled down the window, and he said, Brother Dale, how long is it going to be before you obey the Lord? He said, the Lord's already showed me you're going to be our pastor. 
And I said, well, Brother Gene, all he's got to do is show it to me, and I'll be right here. I just want to do what he wants me to do wherever he wants me to do it. He said, well, don't worry about it. He'll show you. And I remember driving off while he stood there. He stood there watching watched us drive off. Because in his mind, he's thinking, man, that guy's missing the Lord big time. Then I had another church, a charismatic church. And that guy told me his vision for me was he was going to retire. And he was going to do hospital visitation and do handle all that kind of ministry. And he wanted me to pastor and preach and, and lead the church. And that was his vision for me. And that opened a door for me. And then I had the denomination I was in with overseers who have the power to send you there. And they wanted me to pastor in Ashburn, Georgia. And then they wanted me to pastor in Uvalde, Georgia. And then they wanted me to pastor in outside of Dublin, Georgia. And I went and I submitted and I went where the overseer said go. And I prayed and God either said don't go or he said nothing. And I can't go on nothing. I got to go on, go, go son, do this, I'm behind this. I had six doors open for me to preach. I'm not trying to say I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm trying to tell you, don't go by open doors. God, there's no one the Bible says, I shall lead thee by open doors. God said, I'll lead you by my voice. My sheep know my voice. A stranger they'll not follow. That still small voice. Just say, because sometimes God will lead you where it don't look like it's going to be good. It don't look like it's going to be fun. It don't look like it's going to be prosperous. But God's got a plan and a purpose and a reason behind it. And just, and just do what he says. It took God a year to get me to convince to come here. And I don't mean that bad. I just wanted to know that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to leave where I was. You know what the problem was where I was? I was comfortable. Extremely comfortable. In every area. I wasn't worried about nothing. It was fun. I had 250 people. I'm like, God, you tell me to come here to Valdosta? Mm-mm. I go help. I go preach. I help them get somebody. Ken is sitting here. These elders know that I said, I got somebody for y'all. I said, his name's Eddie Taylor. And I said, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send him here. And he's going to be y'all's pastor. And I done talked to him. He wants to be y'all's pastor. And the elders were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. We don't need no no Eddie Taylor what? We don't need no no Eddie Taylor. I said, he's a good man. I let him come. You can hear him preach and all that. And so, we, it, we, you know, one Sunday I'm preaching here, one Sunday I'm back at my church. I'm trying to help. God's dealing with me. And I remember one time at the, at the cabin down there, we were meeting, the elders meeting. Ken was there. Uh, Andy Fletcher. That night we went to leave. Andy said, he's walking down. He said, Brother Dale, I believe the Lord's already showed me who our pastor's going to be. And he said, it's either going to be you or a man just like you. And I said, well, huh? all you got to do is show me. And I remember going home that night and saying, well, ain't no everybody other preacher just like me, so it's good. God made this throw to break the blueprint, you know what I'm saying? You too, come on. Don't follow open doors. When you're praying for a job, when you're praying for a spouse, don't go online and say the first one that clicks my name, that's going to be my wife or my husband. You're going to get in trouble. Pray to the Lord to speak to you, direct you, guide and lead you. Come on now. Uh, what do you do if you're in a storm? I'm going to give you a couple of things real quick. Number one, listen. You've got to have mercy on yourself. Don't panic. You're going to get through it. Whatever it is, 
You're going to get through it. You're going to get through this. Now listen, human reasoning is not good in a storm. Remember I told you disciples, Jesus said, get in the boat, cross over to the other side, and I'll meet you over there. And so then Jesus comes to there in the middle of a storm, crying for, for that they're going to die, and, and, and the wind's blowing, waves, and Jesus says, comes to them walking on the water. And when they saw Jesus, they said, oh, thank the Lord, Jesus is on the way to save us. Is that what they said? No, it says they cried out for fear and said he's a ghost, which means they thought he was demonic. And they were seeing an aberration or some ghost, and, and it said they cried out in fear. And, and, and they're looking at Jesus. See, you don't recognize things very good when you're in a storm. It can be Jesus trying to help you, and you rebuking him. You, you, human reasoning will fail you in the middle of a storm. Uh, this is what you've got to know. Wherever you are, storm, no storm, God's with you, and God's in you, and God's for you. And you're going you're gonna to get through this. You hear me? Isaiah 43, 2, God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When, when you go through the fire, I, I, it will not scorch you. You might have to go through the fire. You may go through the regardless of where, what the cause is. But God said, I'm going to be with you. It's not going to consume you. You think it will. Come on now. Where, where, was, where was God when the, when the three, as we say, the three Hebrew bulls were thrown into the furnace? Where was he at? Standing in the mist. Where, where, where was God when the disciples were gathered in an upper room, totally terrorized with fear? They had seen their, their rabbi, their, their leader, uh, murdered on the cross. And it says they were, they were assembled, the doors were locked, and they were assembled in there for fear. And it says the Lord walked right through the wall and stood in their midst. Where's God when you're going through the storm? He's right there in the middle of it with you. Don't ever believe the lie that he's up there at some planet called heaven. He's right in the middle of it with you. Even if you took a wrong turn and on a rebellious road and you're walking away from Jerusalem. Come on, he's standing and walking and talking with you and trying to say, why is your countenance so sad? Why are you downcast? Emmaus Road, if you don't know what I'm talking about. If you're going the wrong way, God's, God's, God's on the wrong way with you. Because you're his kid. Come on, y'all. Amen. That's good news. All right. Secondly, if you're in a storm, don't let the storm lead you. Acts 27, verse 15. It says, so when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Don't let her drive. <laughs> I ain't talking about no woman. I listen. Don't let her drive. What's he talking about? Don't let the storm drive you. Number one, God don't drive his sheep. He leads them. If you feel a spear in your back, that ain't God. If you feel something pushing you, that ain't God. If you feel something, I got, you got to make a decision today, that ain't God. God leads his sheep. A leader goes before him. A leader says, follow me as I follow the Lord. See, that's, God leads his sheep. God don't beat his sheep. God don't drive them with a whip. Come on, y'all. But, but so don't let the storm lead you. Don't let, don't let what's going on in that storm lead your, you in that. Number three, don't move in fear. Don't move in fear. Man, I wish I could take a lot of time on this. It, it says in verse 17, Acts 27, 17, it says, when, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing. Everybody say fearing. Lest they should run aground. Uh, so they made decisions of what they were doing in the storm, this crew, based on fear. And, and the crew was motivated by fear. 
Listen, every decision, I could give you testimony after testimony of things that I'm not proud of where I made decisions based out of fear. And, and I, I've never had one of those that turned out great for me. Well, if you don't buy this, you know, somebody else is going to buy it and you're going, you're going to miss opportunity. Oh, I'm fear, and then you buy it. And then you get ready to sell it and you can't give it away. That's been my uh, portfolio. You know why? Because I made the decision out of fear, not out of faith. Don't let fear, fear of lack. Oh, well, there's not going to be enough. I better do this. Oh, we f Come on, y'all. I mean, I see it every time when you have these storms. You know, people don't care if you get water. I was, I was in them stores. We've got this hurricane coming. There'll be people with, with, with 20 boxes of a bottle of water, and then person goes in there just trying to get one, can't get one there because you got four buggies. You going up to the counter? What? What do you turn into a fish when a hurricane's coming? How much water can you drink? You got to be careful. I've read where people die drinking too much water. <laughs> no, you know why? Because you're fearful, and your fresh going to run out, and there's not going to be enough. You're fearful on your job. Well, it's not going to be enough. You get competitive. Well, I'm in sales and they're in sales, so I got to knock them down so I can do better because there's not enough. Oh, there's enough. There's enough in whatever. There's enough. But fear, fear, if you make decision based on fear, I'm just telling you, it's not going to turn out well. Don't do that. The fourth thing, don't abandon your cargo. It says in verse 18, and because we're exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lighten the ship. All right, here you are in a storm, and you decide to get rid of some stuff. You can be in a storm side to get rid of your spouse. Come on. Uh, because they were in the storm, they abandoned their cargo. You, you should only abandon things when you're in the storm if you clearly hear the voice of the Lord to tell you to do it. Uh, during a storm, listen, is not the time to make decisions on what to throw away and what to keep. Is this helping anybody? When you're in a storm, you don't, you're not thinking very logically and, and, and well. And so I've seen people, in, they, they got in a storm. It could be a spiritual thing, a physical thing, a diagnosis. It could be their marriage difficulty. It can be all kinds of things. And so in the middle of that storm, they, they decide what they're going to abandon things. They abandon relationships. I've seen them abandon their marriage. Uh, I've seen them abandon businesses and, and, and relationships in business and, and many precious things because they was in the middle of a storm and, and they got fearful and they made ridiculous decisions and they cast away things that they should have held on to. Uh, we can't see good when we're in a storm. We can't hear good. Uh, the fifth thing, don't abandon God's house. Don't abandon church. I'll tell you, this is going on everywhere with every church, with every preacher. And if this church here, and I've told you this before, and I, I don't like to talk about finances. I, I don't like to do none of that. I just don't. I just trust God in your heart to, to give and support. And I don't care what you call it. You can call it tithe. You can call it dough, bread, dough, ray, me. I don't care what you call it. But if, if but we, you know, Johanna was telling me this, this last week, $5,000 light bill. Just, that's one month. $5,000 light bill it takes to, to, to cool this thing in the summer. This is a huge facility. So well, I like having a children's church. Well, it'd be nice to keep it going, but 
But we're, we're approaching, I'm just being honest with you, your Pastor, we're approaching a place where we're going, I, I, got, I got hard decisions I got to make. Because the financial support is just not there. It's just not there. COVID, man, put a whipping on us. March of 20, we, we've never even recovered from that. And, and, and that's just the truth. And so, yeah, I like having children's church. Well, it, I mean, we're paying. We're paying to have that, and I, I'm thankful for it. But, you know, I like, I like the food ministry. Well, we're paying for that too. It's wonderful to give people food. That's wonderful. But we are rapidly, closely, within weeks of me having to say, we can't do that no more because we don't have the finances. You can't do what you can't pay for. You just can't do it. And this ain't my church. I can't hold the weight of this. You know? As sad as it is, I said it would have been, I told you hunting in the office before I walked in this morning, I said as sad as it is and as bad as this sounds, and I probably shouldn't even say this, but I said it would have been more merciful, look like if, you know, we could have just had a tornado come in and just wipe this property off the map. You said, preacher, yeah, because we got it insured for five million, I'd have built you a new place. And we wouldn't have had roof leaks and it wouldn't cost us $5,000 to cool it a month. Everybody's quiet now. But see, this is what Paul called the weight of the church, the weight of it. I'm not here for a job. I got a job. I work for United Healthcare. Okay? I'm here because I, I, I feel called and, and I am privileged to get to do this. I don't have to. I get to. But man, it's a load. I'd like to just go skip the Malou, walk in the pulpit, preach, and skip the Malou and not get all the other that goes with it. But all the other goes with it. And I've been doing it for over 40 years. And I told you, I said, I'm, you know, I don't do good as I used to when I was a younger fella. I don't know if that's just me, you know. You get older and you can't take the stress and the pressure, you know. And uh, dealing with some of these, these brothers, I don't know if I can get to you or not. Well, somebody got to get to us. <laughs> somebody got to help us with his roof, you know. And uh, just a lot of weight. But we have to. You know, and I've learned over the years, you know, used to when I was a young boy coming up in church, when I pastored my church at Cornerstone, man, people, number one, they didn't ever want to miss. And if they did miss and they was on vacation, they would mail their tithe in. Or they'd drop it by the church. They made sure that their house was covered. Sadly, I've learned now, if people don't come, they don't give. They don't think about it. And when your average national statistic is 1.4 Sundays a month that people in America go to church where they say, that is my church, I'm an active member, 1.4 Sundays, that's how much they give is 1.4 Sundays. And that's why most churches are struggling. So if we're going to be, you know, five years from now and still be doing what we're doing, something got to change. Well, I don't, I don't know. You don't think I've talked to him about all this? And I've reminded him right after the storm, this ain't my building, I don't own it, it ain't my, this ain't my deal. You know? And uh, you probably didn't want all that, but I decided to hand you a couple of the bricks that's on I'm toting. Because you all with me, right? This is our church. We care. And God's, you know, and we trust in God's going to help us to make the right decision. Who are we going to use? Who can we trust to put the building back like it's supposed to be and God touched the adjusters and the insurance company to treat us fairly and properly and, and take care of this stuff. Um, you know, anyway. Boy, I'm getting off my notes, but I'm just trying to be family, right? Is this okay? 
Uh, don't abandon God's house. Paul, it says in verse 21, but after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I make an application there. Paul's talking about natural food. But I'm saying the church, God's command to Peter and to me and every other preacher is feed my sheep. I've heard people all my life, I left that church while I wasn't getting fed. Well, maybe you wasn't eating. Maybe you wasn't hungry. Or maybe you wasn't getting fed. Maybe you wasn't. Or maybe the, what you were being fed was law and legalism and poison. And, and, and rightly so, you should have left. But I'm just saying, I've seen people take a long absence from God's house, from God's word, and they go, and listen, the thing about people like that, and, the, and you're going to get a storm too. You, 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 don't, you don't leave and not hang out with God and listen to the word, you know, and be fed as a sheep and, and, and not go through storms. You're still going to get them. And if you don't have the foundation of God and the spirit in you to, to, to navigate that storm, you, you're very likely to suffer disaster and loss. And Paul was one of those guys that, you know, you don't, we don't like these people, but Paul said, I told y'all so. You should have listened to me. You don't want to hear that when you're in the middle of a storm, but Paul had no mercy when it came to that. You brother, he said, y'all should listen to me. You wouldn't be going through this if you just listened to me. No, you ain't going to listen to the preacher. But now you wish you had. <laughs> Paul said, you should have listened to me. This place is where you get taught the word of God, the spiritual food. And I'm telling you, I, 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 I do my best to try to hear what God's saying to tell you. Number six, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Boy, if there's one thing you get from this house, and you tell me if I'm deceived and just don't know it, but you get encouraged, you get good news, you hear the grace of God, you're not whooped on, you ain't beat on, you ain't threatened, you don't get the law. If you don't do this, God's going to smash you in the head. You don't get none of that stuff. And I can't even figure out, and my head hurts at night, and I just have to quit thinking about it. And I don't understand how those churches got a bunch of people, and they're just whooping on them. You know, I, I just don't get it. I told you I visited the church in this community the other day, and we went and just got whooped all on. And I just left there, felt beat up. Took a psalm, took, I mean, took a proverb and just whooped everybody in there. And then got paid for whipping us. You know what I mean by that? Took up an offering when they got through whipping on everybody. It made you feel guilty. And said, you need to support this and support that. And I'm talking about, what do you think I'm doing here? Hello, I'm here to support. I'm here to contribute. And then you're whooping on us. Preachers sometimes, when I grew up, a lot of times they would never even preach to the people that were sitting there. They're preaching to the people that sat at the house that didn't come. And they didn't have Facebook, so they hoped they would hear it. They would just, it's like, man, we're here. You know, we're here. But I'm telling you, no matter what you're going through, listen to me. You, you don't lose hope. What does the Bible say in verse 40? Acts 27, 40. It says, that, that, and they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. They, 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 and, and the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, it, it, it says that, 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 that it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. And, and, what, and we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Whatever God's promised you, God's not lied to you. 
It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. And you might think God's timing is really off bad. But God ain't done yet. We sung it today. He's not over. It's not over yet. See, Paul was told by God in Acts 23. There was a crowd that the Roman soldiers saved Paul. It literally says from the crowd tearing him apart physically. And they took him by force and carried him, it says, to the barracks. And, 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 Paul, and they let Paul sleep there. And, and, and that night, Paul had a vision, and the Lord came to him in a vision and said, Paul, you have, you have been my witness in Jerusalem, and you must also be my witness in Rome. And, and, and he said, and you shall stand in Rome as my witness. Well, he had a promise from God that he was going to go to Rome, and he was going to be the witness for the Lord in Rome. Well, he had never been to Rome yet. He hadn't been that witness to God. And now he's in a life and death situation. He's in a situation where it looks like his life is going to be taken from him. But then in, when you're in those situations, you've got to remember what God promised you, what he promised your family. If he said he's going to save your kids, he's going to save your kids. I mean, you're not going to lose. And, you, and so you, you say, well, listen, I got a promise from God. I, I got a promise from God. And, and, and you, hold, you hold on to that, to that promise because God's not going to lie. And, and, and it says, you know, that they, they, they let go of that anchor, which is symbol of their hope. And, and, and when hope is lost, then that's the, when the Bible says the heart gets sick. And what that means, that's when that depression comes on you. Proverbs, Proverbs 13 and 12, uh, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you lose hope, buddy, you're going to go into some depression. I'm going to tell you. Because hope... When you lose that, you, you just stepped into the room called depression. And, and you begin to focus on the negative and all of that. And depression is just a byproduct of that. And listen, we've all faced it and we've all done it. And I'm not beyond, you know, if you, and I've said this, and I don't mean this like a joke, but I'm telling you my life. But if you want to know, the, you know, where depression, you know, where the pit is to fall in, I can, I can show you. <laughs> I've been there many times. I mean, you understand, I've, I've had depression so bad that a doctor looked at me when I was 27 and said, if you don't break this cycle, you will physically die. And he said that in the presence of my dad. And I thought, I probably am going to, because I, you know, I done tried to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I didn't know how to do it, and I couldn't snap out of it like people told me, and I couldn't just get better, and, and I was drowning. So I've been there. I've drank of that cup. And I don't say I don't ever get depressed now. I hadn't been depressed since, what, about seven days ago? About seven days, wasn't it? And there's something hit me seven days ago, some this stuff. And, and man, Monday, I'm, I'm just being honest. You want to preach a while? I'll come sit there and you come. But, uh, but man, I, I mean, Monday, uh, I was just like immobilized. Just immobilized. Didn't just, just sat there. What I'm, I'm going to do? Just too heavy, too big. <laughs> That's when you want to get in your truck, <laughs> point that bad boy to Texas, and just say, adios, and just drive. But stuff will follow you to Texas. I've done been there. Stuff followed me to Texas before. I'm saying because her dad's there and family, we've got family. But I know what it is to be in storms. And, and you know, and, and the natural things like that, I mean, that's, 
you know, these things happen. I'm not freaking out about that. I know hurricane and none of that kind of stuff. It's bigger than that. Um, and so I'm really I'm just preaching to you what I've had to preach to myself. And uh, it's doing me good to hear it again. <laughs> and you think I'm joking. I am not. I've had to say, God, help me not to lose my hope. Um, and I've had to hear God say, you're going to make it, son. Because I made it for you. Acts 27 in verse 44, it says before that, that the ship went to a place where two seas met. Run up on a sandbar. The front end got wedged in on that sandbar, locked fast. And the seas are tearing and ripping apart the rear end of that ship. And it broke it all to pieces. And it, it broke apart in those rough seas. That's got to be some ferocious sea to just tear that boat all to pieces. And, and, and it says, and the rest, and, and so what the centurion soldier said, one guy said, let's kill them all, because they was prisoners on board. And they said, no, don't kill them, because we're afraid you'll kill Paul. He's, got to, he's going to see Pilate and Caesar. And I'm like, mm -mm. He said, all y'all can swim, swim. And all of you that can't swim, brothers, grab hold of a piece of the boat and hang on. And it says, and the rest, some on boards, some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. You're going to make it. Now, the ship broke into pieces. But they held on to the broken pieces and what I'm trying to tell you here is God can even use the broken pieces in your life as a life preserver. God can use the broken places if you'll just hang on. And I'm talking about hanging on to God. I'm not talking about hanging on to a two before. But they hung on to parts of the ship. And God used what was broken to save their life and to bring them to safety. And they all made it. Because God wants all of you to make it, and you're all going to make it, and you're going to get through it. Now, you might not be arriving on the red carpet all prime and pretty when you get there. You might look like Jonah been vomited out by a whale, but you're going to get there. Come on, y'all. You, 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 you may, you know, I mean, I've told you, sometimes, you know, with, a, with a, just a, a, a piece of the ship. And sometimes I've gone through stuff where I look like I'm making it on a piece of a job. You ever had a piece of a job? Didn't pay you what, you what you knew you should be getting paid or what you, but you, you, you still made it on a piece of it. You ever had a piece of a car? Come on, I'm talking about a piece of a car. I drove a 69 yellow VW when we first got married. That was, that was a piece of a car. <laughs> it said, it, it, it got, you got air conditioning. No, it don't have no air conditioning. It had a mean heater, though. If your, if your ankles was cold, if you ain't never been to VW, you don't have a clue on it. But if your ankles was cold, you pull up them little shifters, and that there'd be a fire come out there on them ankles that would burn your ankles. But you'd be freezing up top, but your feet be warm. <laughs> and who the dude is that put the horn in it? Eh, eh. Even if you was in traffic and you needed to alert somebody, eh, eh, and they they laughing as soon as they heard your horn. I remember when I drove it to the Amherst one day, and there was this young guy that we had hired, and he was looking at it, you know, and really, he was being serious. He didn't know. He never seen no VW or nothing like that. Because, I mean, at that time, they wasn't even making those. I mean, everybody was driving one that was an older model. 
He said, what you got under the hood? I said, a spare tire. You want to see it? <laughs> How many of those ain't no engine under the hood of a VW? There is a spare tire if you're lucky. In the first two years we were married, that's what we drove. We lived in a single wide trailer. You, you, I, you don't know where I've been. I don't know where you've been. But don't judge me. Now. Oh, you live in Kindaloo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I worked myself to death all my life. I know how to go and get a job. <laughs> I don't sit and wait on God to drop something in the mailbox. I go get it. <laughs> T.D. Jake said one time, if you want what I got, you got to do what I do. <laughs> I mean, we, you, you go through stuff. But if, if, if you're in a season where I just feel like I'm just making it on a piece of a ship, well, thank God for the peace. And just float on, baby. Just float on. You're going to get through this. Why? Because God's with you. Acts 28, 1. It says, and when they had escaped, then uh, they then found out that the island was called Malta. Y'all know how preachers are. We can't stand to see a word that we don't know what it means, so we had to look it up. And I looked up Malta, and this is what it says it means. Calm, splendid, sweet. It's known for sweetness because that island was known for, for uh, honey making. Beehives and, and a small island, but they exported honey to that whole region of the Mediterranean. And so the word actually was named after that. Calm, splendid. This is the storm before the calm. Y'all have heard of the calm before the storm? This is the storm before the calm. In other words, if you're in a storm, let me tell you what comes next. Calm. There is going to be calm again. It's not always going to be like this. You're not always going to feel like you feel. Don't, don't do something stupid in the middle of your darkness. Because it's not going to stay like this. If people, sometimes I've seen people take their life in the middle of a storm because they didn't think that there was going to ever be a good day again. There is going to be a good day again. You are going to come through this. Don't you think about leaving here. Don't you think about taking your life. Don't you think about giving up. I, I'm serious. Don't, don't you do that. Because you're going, the sun's, I'm telling you, this ain't just some, you know, glib saying. I mean, it's, it's going to come out again. You, it's, it's going to be different than the way it is. And look in verse 2. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. God's got people that don't even know you that will show you unusual, not just kindness, but I'm talking about some crazy kindness. Unusual kindness. Well, why are you doing this for me? Because I just want to. Man called me the other day the, in the, after the storm. And he said, uh, uh, hi, pastor. My name's so-and-so. I'm from Florida. And I'm a tree uh, guy, you know. And they've been coming by here like crazy. And he said, listen, I don't want nothing from you. He said, I was talking to another pastor in town, and, and, he, and I told him that I, was wanting, I felt like God had laid on my heart before I carried my crew back to Florida to help a church that was in trouble. And he said, do you know? He said, well, we were unscathed here, but I heard that Grace Point got hit pretty hard. He said, here's this pastor, and here's his number. Why don't you call him? And this guy called me. He said, he said uh, Pastor, I, I just want to help somebody. For I, I'm, I'm going to be heading back to Florida and taking my crew back, and, 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 but I want to help a church. I, God put on my heart to help a church. He said, y'all need any help? I said, we sure do, brother. We got a big old gigantic pecan tree over here. Come over and hit my sign. And, it, and, and, and my people got out there with chainsaws. They done all they could do, but it's still huge, man. We still we can, we have to drive around and get in the drive for, for Sunday service. He said, I'll be there uh, Friday afternoon. He said, I'll be there and look at it. And then he called me when he got here, and he said, whoo, you wasn't kidding. That is a big tree. <laughs> he said, I need a five-foot chainsaw to cut through that thing. 
He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Pastor. I was supposed to go on back to Florida. I'm going to stay in town. I'm going to stay one more night. I'm going to bring the heavy equipment in the morning, Saturday morning, and I'm going to come and do all I can do to get that tree cut up and moved to the, to the road. He said, I don't know that I can get that biggest trunk of it, and I'm going to do everything I can do for you. And he said, you don't owe me nothing. He said, I just wanted to help, uh, help a church before I left town. See, that's unusual kindness. That's unusual kindness. And, and, so, and, and that's what he did, and we're going to get the rest of it. I, I, I know. I mean, God's going to help me find somebody that's going to do the rest of it for us. But they said natives showed us an unusual kind of listen. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. You imagine this is wintertime, it's cold. You already been through a shipwreck and now it's raining. You're like, God, what, what else? Come on, y'all. I told a man I was there, he started laughing. He was working on my house on my roof and I was trying to do something, messed up some stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm trying to do all I can do. Uh, you know, and, and, and uh, so he was on the ladder and I was talking to another guy that was there giving me an estimate on repairing stuff. And I said, man, I feel like Jerry Clower, man. You know, God, you, you just shoot up here amongst us. So somebody got to have some relief. Some, y'all don't know, you know what that, but that's like, you don't have so much going on. It's like that guy, that guy brother was up in the tree wrestling with a, with a raccoon up in there. And they were like, Jerry, what's going on? He said, I don't know. Just shoot up here amongst us. One of us got to have some relief. I mean, shoot me or the coon one because, you know, we're getting a whooping up in here. <laughs> I tell you, you don't get this kind of preaching everywhere. I'm telling you. <laughs> so look, next verse. I've always been amazed by this. Now, here's this great apostle. He's, they're transporting this brother to see Caesar, Agrippa, Felix, these leaders, world leaders. Powerful nation of the globe at Rome at the time. They're trans. That'd be like some. I mean, this is an important person. Paul is freezing, and he sees these native people that he don't even know. They they're building a fire to warm him. But when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, help me if you see me helping you. Help me help you. If somebody's trying to help you, then you help them help you. If, they, if, if you cold and they building you a fire, then you help gather some wood. If they trying to, come on, whatever that's, if, just help people to help you. Paul didn't say, well, y'all hurry up and get it going because I'm the great apostle and I need to be warm. No, he saw them helping me. Paul said, I'm going to help them help me. I'm going to gather some wood. And he goes to gather wood. You read the story. And he said he gathered, uh, the, you know, the wood. A viper came out of the heat, fastened on his hand. I mean, how much more can happen to the brother? I mean, this dude is having a bad day. He's just trying to help them help him get a fire going. He grabs a stick, and the stick ain't a stick. It's a viper. And it don't go bite, release. It attaches itself to his hand, it says. It, it, he, this snake, him means to kill you. It bites and hangs on. And, and see, it, and here's another principle. Everything that looks like a stick ain't a stick. Everybody that looks like they're your friend ain't your friend. Every, hi, I'm from the IRS. I'm here to help you. Come on, somebody. <laughs> no, you ain't. <laughs> the devil is alive. <laughs> come on. I mean, everything, come on, y'all. I mean, everything that looks like a stick, you, you better learn to have some discernment. But sometimes you grab what you think's a stick, and it's a viper, and it attaches itself to your hand. And, and then here's, 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 the, here's the peanut gallery watching. 
And they say, oh, this man here was spared his life from the, from the shipwreck of the sea, but justice, this man must be a murderer. They say he's a murderer. Because even though he escaped the sea, justice will not allow him to live. And they're just going to stand there and watch him die. And so Paul's looking at this viper on his hand. They got the fire going, and Paul goes over there, and it said he shook it off. Here's another point. You got to learn to shake some stuff off. You're going to have to learn. I mean, people that you, you, you just going to have to shake some stuff off. I don't like you. I'm going to shake that on off. What's for supper, Jill? I mean, you're going to have to learn to shake some stuff off. You got to shake it off. I'm getting better at shaking it off. I mean, I've had things happen. Well, you know, I learned that this and our neighbors and stuff, and I'm close in, man. But people, people just, people get weird, man, when a storm comes through. People get weird. Oh, you want to drive an excavator through my yard because you don't want to rut yours up, but you want to rut mine. Mm-hmm. I thought you was a stick, but I ain't sure. <laughs> Come on, y'all. People get crazy. Mm, think so. I done had a I done had an excavator on mine, and I went and bought ten sheets of plywood to put down for the excavator, and he still rutted it. And now you just going to drive naked on mine? I don't think so. I got enough hell going on. But thank you, though, for asking. God bless you. I'm not going to wave at you no more. That ain't, that's your call. But I want you to know I'm still eating and sleeping whether you wave at me or not. I don't seem very, I don't care what it seems. Ain't you a Christian? Yep, it don't, yeah, but on my Christian mat, don't say floor mat. God never tells you just, to, you know, get abused and, and submit to abuse. Well, we're married, you know, my husband beats me every night with his fists and all, but, you know, I don't want to be a divorcee. Well, you a dumb, eh? I don't mean a dummy. I mean not dumb A. I mean dummy. I I didn't say dumb A. I'm saying dummy. Well, I'm done for today. Another meeting with the elders. <laughs> Ken, you know I didn't say dumb A, I said dumb me. I get in more trouble up here. God don't want you trapped in no abuse. This is just practical. Don't you you're not trapped. I've seen people caught the way they were raised in a marriage. They're living in dangerous situations, dangerous. And they think because of some church raising and what they perceive that some scripture says, that they can, if they're ever divorced, then they'll never be forgiven. And they live in a constant state of adultery or something like that, some constant state of sin because of things that they perceive that the scripture says. I saw my own father-in-law when they lived and went to a particular church, and they voted him in as a Sunday school superintendent, and then they found out that Jill's mom had been married and divorced before. 
And then they took away the superintendent position from her dad because he was married to a woman that had gone through divorce. And they had this doctrine that said that, that they couldn't have people that was living like that in a constant state, what they perceived of sin. What, what, and we believe that stuff in American churches. And there's churches that right in this town that still believe that way. And if you've ever been married, I had pastors. You know, my pastor, when I was called to preach, could never be ordained in our denomination. Because before he ever even woke up to Jesus, he was married and divorced, had a kid. And they, they said, well, you, can't, you can be a licensed minister in our denomination, but you can never, we can never ordain you. Why not? Because, you know, you, you weren't supposed to be remarried. But I mean, am I not the only one? I, you've heard of that, right? And there's churches that still teach and, and preach and believe that. It's ridiculous. It, it, it says that Paul shook that snake off in the fire. Who's the fire? God is. Our God is a consuming fire. Listen. I don't know how to tell you to shake it off other than focus on the fire, which is God. Our God will consume those things that were said about you, against you. But you, you have to help God help you. You've got to shake that off. Righteous man falls sometimes. He gets back up. Why? Because he shook that off. He shook his own mistake. I got to shake that off. I got to stand back up. I got to walk again. Well, I'm, you know, I'm free. I'm clean. I'm off drugs. And then you have us. Well, I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. But Jesus, cause Jesus came to make to, 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 to you know to die for you. But listen, you you get back up again. He shook it off in the fire, and and suffered. And listen, what the Bible says: suffered no harm. Now, remember the peanut gallery? They're the ones that stand there watching, waiting for him to die. Now they see that he won't die, and he's not going to die, and listen, listen how quick they change. They said, he is a God. It's right in your Bible. They said that he is a God. Now, they've gone from calling you a murderer, now they're calling you God. This is the pendulum that people swing on in what they say and how they treat you. One day you're a murderer, next day you're a God. One day you're a Messiah, feeding them fish and chips, and they want to make you king. The next time that same crowd is saying, crucify him, crucify him. You cannot let the opinions of people on any kind of platform, social media or otherwise, you can't let what people say about you dictate how you feel, how you approach life. Because one day they may say, well, you're a murderer. Next day, you're a god. I mean, you can't, you, you, you can't be going to depression because of that, and you can't get too excited because they're saying you're a god. Because both of it is setting you up for failure. God God's brings us through storms. And, whether, and, and, and no matter what the reason, you don't have to try to figure out why the storm is here. I mean, if you know God will share, I mean, God, God may reveal this is a decision that you've, you, you, you made some poor decisions. Now you're in a financial storm. But you will get out of it. Now, sometimes I have, I've had to tell people, listen, your life did not get, now listen to me now, it, your life didn't get in this mess overnight. Right? And they'd say, yeah, that's right, Pastor. I said, now, God's with you and in you and for you. But I said, I want to tell you a reality, brother, because your life is in such a mess now. You may you owe the IRS fifty thousand dollars. You got this. You get. You know, there's a lot of things here. A lot of wheels moving. And and God's with you and in you and for you. But you're not going to get out of it overnight either. I said, you willing to walk this out with God? Because He's willing to walk it out with you and will. But you just have to be patient and merciful with yourself and take it a day at a time. 
Sufficient is the day, the grace thereof. You got to learn to live in the present day grace. My wife come to me, you know, Monday or Tuesday when I was just kind of immobilized. And, I, and she said, what, you know, she started asking some questions. And, and, I, and, and I think my answer to you was, I, I said, I'm just trying to live in, in uh, today. That's what I told you. I said, I'm just living in today. I said, okay, one day. I said, I'm just going to get through this day, Jill. I'm going to get through this day. I don't, don't want to talk about tomorrow or what we're going to do Thursday or what we're going to do Friday. I just want to get through this day. And I don't have many days like that, but she knew that was one of them days. And so she was kind. She just, you know, that's when you just walk away and go make me a biscuit. No, I'm just teasing. She didn't make me. <laughs> but I just said, baby, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to deal with this day. The grace of this day. And that's hard for this boy because I'm a planner. I like to know what's going to happen a year from now. six. But that stuff don't always work when you're in a storm. Stand with me. I'm going to ask everybody in the building real quick, please, if you can. If you don't want to, I still love you. Come down here real quick. I want to pray for you. I want to do it like I felt like last night I was supposed to do it. I'm going to tell you I'm going to be real quick. I'm not going to keep you but just a minute. But I just want you to participate in this. How many would look at, uh, you know, at me and... And just say, and it doesn't matter what, it does matter to God and it matters to me, but I don't mean that in a term that I don't care. I do care, that's why I'm preaching this. But I'm saying that you would say, and you feel like, at least in your present situation, that you're in a storm right now of some type. You're in a storm. You find yourself in some type of storm. It could be physical, financial. It could be, just hold your hand. I'm holding mine up because I feel like I'm in one. Look at there. Just look at your family. Now that um, And it's fine. Man, if you don't have your hand up, man, I love you. That means you can pray for us. <laughs> and I'm serious. Um, and so don't, I mean, that's great. That you know. Um, but, but that meant, if I, just cursory view, I'm going to say 80% of us probably had our hands up. That we feel right now, presently, we're in some type of storm that we're facing and dealing with right now. And I know there's degrees, and I told you that last Sunday, I think I said that, that somebody said, you know, well, it could always be worse. <laughs> you know? And like I said, well, let me just, I'm tired of hearing that. Because this is pretty worse right now, and let me just enjoy my worst. And then we'll get to, it could be worse later on some other time, but right now this is as worse as I want. And let me just deal with this worse, and you try and tell me there's, it could be worse, because that ain't helping me. Like, I mean, if I'm on the plane and, you know, we got four engines and one's on fire, and it could be worse. We could, you know, be. I'm worried about that one that's burning out on the wing now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I know that's just human stuff, but I'm not trying to over-spiritualize stuff. But we all, most of this room finds yourself in some type of storm, and that breaks my heart really to a degree because I don't want you to have that. I don't want you to, I don't want to see 80% of my congregation raise their hand and say, Pastor, I'm in a storm. But what that did tell me, <laughs> what that did tell me is I'm preaching the right sermon to the right people at the right time. That's what it does tell me. But I don't want you in no storm. Life's hard enough, I want you to enjoy it. Your relationship with God and your family and life. That's what I want. Because that's what I want. And I want you to have more than enough. 
I don't want you to survive. God's not the God of survival. God's the God of more than enough. And a lot of times it seems like we're on survival mode, and I don't like that mode at all. I want to be on the abundance of mode where I can give when I want to you know, do things and help other people that find themselves in a, in a storm. Look, y'all. Man, I love y'all too. I sure do. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, but I just merely. <laughs> We've all watched Mary Lee, and I, I got a first-hand view. She had just come from the, what, the, you know, the medical said was her deathbed. There would be no more. There she is. I got a good friend of mine. Uh, we prayed for him last Sunday over in Douglas, younger than me, battling cancer. His wife's communicating me, with me often since he went in the hospital, still there. And keeping their plate that counts and different things he's battling. Breaks my heart. And uh, can't stand to see him going through it. But I've told them and I've said, you know, to him, because uh, he's been battling this a while, but it's gotten to where he got hospitalized. But I've told him, you know, that we've had numerous people here in our church, Mary Lee being one, that they said that's it, you know. Mike Hardy being another, that's it. You know, he's going to never come out of this. Uh, he's home, alert, talking to his wife, you know, reading books. Uh, and I, uh, I say all that to don't lose hope. Doctors doing their thing. I'm going to see one Tuesday, and it ain't because I want to. So I'm, I'm like you in a lot of ways. I've got all these other things, and then health challenges. Now we want you to go see a nephrologist. A what? <laughs> Kidney doctor. Okay, well, say it like you mean it, okay? And so I've never seen one of them before. Don't want to see one. They, you don't go to them for a checkup, <laughs> you know? And, uh, okay, I'm going to go. And, uh, you know, this was back in June, they told me. Then I first said, well, I ain't going to go because <laughs> I can be stubborn. <laughs> I know it's hard for you to believe. But I told you, I said, I don't know if I'm going to go. And then things kept happening, symptoms. He said, well, I better go. Just wisdom says to go, maybe. Don't want to go. And you know, when you done prayed your best prayer, uh, and I've had my elders pray for me, doggone symptoms just still be there. And it can, if you focus on that, it can just pull you down in a hole. And I said, I ain't no good to nobody when I get like that. I got the church family. No, we got to, we got to, we got to step up here. We got issues, buildings, my own house. It's time to rise up now. 
And the only way I know how to rise up is lay down on that floor and talk to Papa. And just share all this with him like he don't know it. <laughs> He's pretty smart. But it makes me feel good just to tell him. You know, just in case he looked. No, I'm just teasing. I won't even know. Papa, we're dealing with all this here. And I'm just asking you to intervene here for us. Heal our people. Help me to see what I can't see, to know what I could not know. That was my prayer this morning. Let the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate. Let us lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Let me prophesy to people so that they will be encouraged, built up, and strengthened in you and believe in how good you are. And Because uh, none of that ever now, but I've just seen too much, know too much, to make me think he's not enough or good. And I can't explain everything. Why don't tree hit your house and that guy that don't ever go to church and doesn't hit his house? I don't know. Treat is like my house, I guess. I don't know. Uh, that tree like my house so good it brought a brother with him and another one come. You know, so they come in there tandem. Why did it happen? I don't know. It's been really stressful and aggravating. Uh, and I didn't need that on the pile. No pun intended. But so life goes. But we serve a God that is bigger than all that and uh, that loves us infinitely, just no end. So, Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our Provider, I pray for this church family called Grace Point. These are your children. These are your sheep. I'm just, and I'm a sheep too, Papa, and you know that. <clears throat> but I'm an under-shepherd under you, the chief shepherd. You're the chief shepherd. You're the chief apostle. You're the chief prophet. And we call upon you in your mighty name, Papa, to I pray for every one of these people that's facing storms in their life. It may be spiritual. It could be they need physical healing in their bodies. It could be financial. It could be a lot of things, Papa. And you know them each so much so that the number of the hairs on their head is numbered by you. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today as you hear our cry and you hear our petition and our prayer, that you have mercy upon us and you have mercy upon these people. And in Jesus' name, I pray that they would be healed in their bodies. I pray that healing would be their portion, for it is their portion, for by your stripes they were healed. They don't have to earn it. They don't deserve it. But you paid for it by your stripes. So our healing is your free gift uh, that you have given to us. Thank you for healing these people. In your name. Father, I pray for financial things. To, I pray that you would do what happened to Paul. That you would have people to show them unusual kindness. In their dealings with people. In the insurance companies that some of them are dealing with. That you would show unusual kindness. Uh, through the adjusters and the people that's helping them put their lives back together. Show unusual kindness. And unusual favor upon this people, Father. These are your kids. I pray, Father, that we don't lose hope in the middle of storms. We don't let go of you. We hold on even if it's just a piece of the ship. We hold on. And we're going to hold on to you. We're not going to let go of our faith. We're not going to let go of our confidence. We're not going to let go, Lord God, of our assurance in you, Lord Jesus, to bring us through. And not just bring us through, but bring us through victoriously. In Jesus' name.